Hi, it's Pete Price. I've got a fabulous guest on my podcast. Marty Christian was the heartthrob from The New Seekers. The New Seekers became a monster group. I'd like to teach the world to sing. There's so much they did. They went round the world. I've got Marty with some of his songs on my podcast. This gentleman I met through the Shakespeare. The New Seekers started at the Shakespeare and basically finished at the Shakespeare. It was the most incredible, surreal journey I've ever seen. I loved everything about their music. I loved everything about their talent. And I've never seen anyone ever work as hard as Keith Potka worked the new seekers i have got the heartthrob on my show everybody loves marty christian hello marty hiya peter it's been a long time and i'm delighted to say because of the shakespeare you and carol your lovely wife and your kids uh, i became friends of the family and stayed a few times and we've drifted but it's not that's not show business is it you just pick up you just you do indeed Peter. yeah it's the weirdest you know, thing when, in the when world. When you make uh, real friends, you, you know, yeah. you can just pick up after 10, 5 years, 10 years, 20, whatever. It yeah, is, and just be there absolutely. Again. It's great. It's the one good thing about show business. It's something I never understood at the be- beginning. The first famous person I worked with, uh, Marty, was um, Cleo Lane. And I had the best week and we were friends and everything was brilliant. And then when they left on the Monday, I rang. And then I rang on the Tuesday and I rang on the Wednesday. And he went, it doesn't work like this. <laughs> And then you oh, learn. what a shame, Peter. That's a real shame. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> now, when I first met the Christians, um, Carol and Marty, they were vegetarians. I used to love staying at your house because I could have a good clear out. It's nothing like a week of vegetarian food. Yeah, Carol used to make a mean... Uh... Oh. Oh, all sorts of dishes, didn't she? Like, she was an incredible, incredible lady. Let's go to, back to the beginning. Let's go to Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, Comes and Goes, 1967. What does that bring back to you? Um, well, yeah, that was one of the songs I did there. I, in fact, I, my first record was a song called We Didn't Ask to Be Brought Here. And it was a Bobby Darren record that I covered over there. Yeah. And um, it got me a shot on... Uh, TV show called The Go Show, and I became a regular on that. And uh, yes, yeah, so I've, I've got to be grateful for that one. But it comes and goes. Um, that was another song. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's incredible. You you love singing and you uh, love writing, but you actually shied away from. Uh, I, I can say this to you now because you're older and, and and you are you are very bloody minded about the fact that you were a very, or still an attractive man, but you were very, very sought after by the fans. You didn't like that side of it, did you, really? Um, I like the aspect of, I mean, everyone likes to, you know, to be to be admired for whatever they do or whatever. And uh, sort of when I was on stage and that, you know, I, I loved the adulation. That was great. But what I, what I sort of shied away from is yeah. <clears throat> I'm a bit of a private person as well. So I figured, um, you know, show business is one aspect you're on stage fine and then uh, you have your own private life and and uh, in the days when you know when uh, when it was all happening for us it was difficult because uh, you know I couldn't go anywhere I couldn't go on public transport and and I just felt sort of uh, like a goldfish in a gold you know in a bowl being watched and uh, 
yeah, I didn't like that aspect of it, but yeah. um, you know, it's part and parcel of show business. It's interesting that you, Marty, um, have got a fabulous. Uh, marriage and you were very private and you also live in a beautiful place which is also very private but you really managed to contain that didn't you which is not easy when you were so loved by the fans yeah no i'm, I'm quite proud of uh, the fact that um you know many many marriages tend to sort of uh, break up after you know going through various ups and downs and especially in show business but um, i've been married since 1975 very happily I've got um, two lovely boys, and uh, we've got a couple of grandchildren now as well. So I'm very much enjoying the uh, the latter part of my life with the grandkids. <clears throat> In fact, I write I write songs for them. You know, every time they have a birthday, <laughs> I, everyone asks me to, to uh, knock out a tune, and and I do. So that's part of the legacy of, of the kids as well. It's interesting because uh, you sent me privately uh, a, a fabulous video of Casper, one of the grandkids, beautiful kids. And uh, But I didn't expect anything else with a good-looking lad like you and a beautiful-looking wife, so I didn't expect anything else than a good-looking <laughs> grandchild, without any shadow of a doubt. Marty, let's go back to what life was like, because you lived in Australia, didn't you? Yeah, I was brought up in Australia. Um, in fact, we immigrated there. Uh, as refugees, my mum was Latvian, and uh, I immigrated to Australia at the age of five. All my formative years were in Australia, so um, you know there's a strong bond there. It's funny enough when it comes to things like um, rugby or tennis or whatever else. Um, even though I've lived in England twice as long as I've ever lived in Australia, yeah. uh, my allegiances are still with the Aussies. So that's that's. Uh, and the boys can't understand that because they're, they're both British. Now, you emigrated and uh, went over there. Was that a problem for you at all? Or was Australia in those days, well, it is multicultural anyway, but were you treated any differently at school? Uh, that's so far back, Peter, I can't even remember. I can remember being, well, I was only five years old, so um, or four and a half, so the memory in terms of how that was, it is very vague now. Now, but I had great school school buddies and we assimilated very quickly and, uh, and my mum, hats off to her. She, she sort of worked every hour that God sent in order to provide for her family, which was just me. Yeah. And uh, it was unheard of for a woman um, in the 50s to actually be able to put a deposit down on the house, which is what mum managed to do, so... How did your yeah. mum cope with your fame? Did she, did she understand it? Um, initially, she was disappointed that I dropped out of university because I, I spent two years at Melbourne University studying architecture, and it was every um, you know every Latvian or Lithuanian or Pole or whatever that, that dreamed for their children to do uh, to become a, a professional in some some way, whether it was a doctor or a dentist or what have you. And so, um, to please mum, I decided to take up architecture. And in the first two years, you know, it was all good. It, all the creative stuff was there. I was quite good at art and uh, it sort of enabled me to sort of expand in that way. But then when it came to the stresses and strains and all the mathematical stuff, I thought, no, this is this malarkey, not for me. And uh, much to my mum's horror, I dropped out and pursued a, uh, a singing career. And... Um, when it all happened with the new seekers, I mean, she was elated. So 
But when you dropped out, it, it, can you remember, was it, I mean, because my mum was like your mum in one respect, that, and we spoke about this before at length, she was, it was alien to her. It, she didn't understand it, and she couldn't understand why I dropped out of, 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 of catering after going to, to college for that. Um, it, it was weird, but she then saw it. But uh, it's weird, isn't it, the way they, de- they, they, yeah, they deal I, I with think- it? I mean, my view is that every, everyone should have their their own opportunity to sort of carve out whatever career they may desire. And, you know, if, whether it's show business or whether it's being a taxi driver or whether it's being an architect, um, it should be your decision. Of course, we are influenced by our parents and, and by our peers very often. But, um, you know, when it finally happened with you, see, cause, you know, she, she, she loved it. She... Yeah. she uh, she used to come to the concerts and talk to the fans and everything. <laughs> I tell you what, Ted, I remember one occasion I was signing autographs to a whole bunch of fans and my mum came up and started kind of pushing my hair back. <laughs> <laughs> I was so embarrassed. Was, yeah, uh, <laughs> Marty, can you imagine yeah. what it would be like now if the New Seekers started now and became the phenomenon they did with social media, it would be a different ball game, wouldn't it? It is. It's a different world, Pete. Completely different world to, to the 70s. And, yeah, with the advent of mobile phones and, as you say, the internet and all the rest of it, totally, totally different. The intrusiveness and uh, and also a thing that I do dislike is all the, um, the things that people can say horrible things about somebody else in total anonymity. Yeah. I don't know why that is, but I mean, I think everyone should be uh, accountable for whatever they say. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more, but we could go down that road and talk about that for an hour. When did you write your first song? Can you remember? And can you remember your first song ever? Now, that is a tough one. I wrote a few when I was about 15, 16, when I first got my first guitar at 14, so about 15 or 16, I started to write songs. Um, but no, I can't really place. I mean, if, and I think if, if I'd ever heard one of them, I think I'd be quite embarrassed. But listen, everybody starts somewhere. You start with something basic and then you can keep going. Yeah. I'm talking to Marty Christian, if you've just joined us, from the New Seekers. I love this man, and he loves writing country songs. We're going to play one, uh, but we'll talk about it first. Tell us about this one that you've had at number one, Hot Disco, European uh, and British chart uh, record. Uh, Bring the curtain down. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, I mean, I write all sorts of songs, ballads and rock songs and and everything else, and uh, and I do like uh, country music in as much as <clears throat> tells a great. Usually, the songs tell a good story, and uh, I'd written a couple of country tracks, and I sent them out to um, this manager guy called Lee Williams, who had uh, a few artists under his belt, and he played it to uh, one of his uh, proteges called Arlene, and she loved the track, um, and decided to record it, and she recorded the track in Nashville, using some of the top. Nashville musicians that play on Dolly Parton's records and other <clears throat> big country stars there. Anyway, when I heard it, I loved the treatment that they'd given to it because my my demo was sort of very um, acoustic-based. And when I heard her version of it, I thought, wow, this is fantastic. And she sang it quite well, but the, I thought it just needed another little bit of grip to it. And, uh, and I, asked her, I said, uh, do you mind if I just uh, put a vocal on it? 
um, on the demo and see what you think. And I did that, and she loved it. I asked her producer to in, in, include me on it, and uh, lo and behold, we uh, we had a record out together, and it became uh, number one on the European and uh, British and Irish uh, hot disc chart. So we were thrilled about that. Would you like to introduce it? Yeah. Okay. Um, this is "Bring the Curtain Down," sung by Arlene and Marty Christian. <laughs> Yeah. 
fabulous record. Love that. I, because I, I, getting to know you, I, I always know you do some beautiful songs, but you do like country music, don't you? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. Um, as I said before, it's. Uh, I like the fact that uh, they're usually good melodies, um, and, and they tell a story. And I'm a bit of a storyteller myself. You are indeed. You did something for me that I'll never forget as long as I live. It was the most incredible experience. I was staying with you and Carol. Uh, I was thrilled to stay with you and Carol because you have a beautiful home and we were becoming friends and I was on tour with Shack Attack and I was at Bailey's Watford and that's why I was down there with you and I came home one night and for some reason or other I kept saying to myself, Hilda, Hilda, my mum, in all the world you're number one and I told you and you went, why don't you write a song? I've never written a song, never thought of writing a song. I wrote the words, you put the music together, you went to see Eric, we got a record on Pi, the B-side, you never can tell, which you wrote, which I sang. That was surreal to me, Marty. It sort of happened in an instant, didn't it? You know, the idea was there, I listened to you talking about Hilda, and I said exactly what you just said, why don't you write a song? And then we put a melody to it, and that's how quick it was in those days. It's, it's even quicker these days, I think, because of the advent of um, home studios and everything else. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of knocking out sort of a song every three or four days these days, so yeah. it's really easy. Interesting, interesting. Um, what I loved about it was uh, I, I was passionate about doing it, and uh, one of my dear friends loved your B-side, We'll sing it to you anytime you want. We absolutely love the B-side. You never can tell. But I went, I and you said to me, I'll never forget it, you've got to do it with more of a country feel. And you said, think of John Wayne. Well, I couldn't get John Wayne out of my head. That was it. I thought it was John Wayne singing the song. But I went to Eric and I said, um, I don't feel there's enough publicity for this record. This, this was me being big time. And I was walking through London one day and this fabulous gay guy came up to me and he went, oh, you must have loved us so much, and walked off. And I went, what's that about? <laughs> and then I went to a gay club in London and somebody came up to me and went, oh, it's magical. And I didn't know what was going on. They'd taken the back page of the Gay Times and put, he loved his mother so much. <laughs> My mother would have, well, I don't know what she'd have done, but uh, I've never, ever, ever publicly, properly thanked you. Nobody can ever take it away from me. It was a record oh, and it was all down to you and I can't oh, thank you enough. Yeah. Can't right. thank you enough for that. Tell us how you joined the New Seekers. Explain what started it because yeah, you um, now let, let me just say that you lecture now, which is fab. You go and talk on the ships, you're doing the cruise ships and I, I've been on the cruise ships. I love some of the speakers, the guest speakers. I would really love to come and see you work because I know, you know, you're turning jobs down all the time because you're doing so well with it. But tell us how you joined the New Seekers. Um, well, I came over to England primarily just to look around first off, <clears throat> go around to Europe, um, possibly go to America, and then he head back home to Australia. But... Um, I was in London at the time, and I got a phone call from a guy called David Joseph. And I'd worked on David's TV shows back in Australia. He had uh, a couple of shows that I'd worked on. And somehow he tracked me down, I don't know how, um, and told me about the idea that he and Keith Potker had for reforming um, 
were doing a variation of the Seekers because the Seekers had just disbanded and Keith, um, he wasn't ready to sort of hang up his guitar or close his bank account and he decided to, um, to form another band. And to make it different, they decided to have three guys and two girls instead of just one like Jesus Durham. Yeah. Anyway, David um, thought I'd be good for it. Um, he was very, very persuasive, asked me to come and see Keith. Um, and anyway, they asked me straight away to join. And initially there were three... Well, <laughs> there was one I um, referred to as the definitive group, which was Peter, Lynn, Eve, Paul, and myself. Yeah. But initially there were three different members, Laurie, Chris, and Sally, in the initial New Seekers. And um, anyway, we got together, uh, rehearsed various harmonies, and Keith would be a mentor and teach us different things. And we sort of spent the first year floating around Europe in army bases and just honing our talents and skills, but with no hit record. And by the end of the first year, we were all set up. There were ego problems, there were um, emotional problems within, and legal problems, all the rest of it. And we all decided to part company. Um, However, David, um, as I said before, he was very, very persuasive. He persuaded me to stay and told me that Peter Doyle was going to join us from Australia. And I knew what a fantastic talent Peter was. So, um, yeah, I stayed. Um, Lynn Paul then joined, Paul Layton joined, and Peter joined, and of course, you know, that, the rest was history. Mm-hmm. And we did our one and only summer season in Great Yarmouth. And during that time, Laurie, Chris, and Sally left. I had to coach the other three into to, uh, to the act and teach them all the harmonies and stuff like that. And we already recorded Look What They Done to My Song, though, with um, Eve being the lead vocalist and Laurie, Chris, and Sally, and myself doing the harmonies. Yeah. Anyway, after they'd left, Within two weeks after they left, the record started rocketing up the U.S. charts and uh, eventually reached number five, and we couldn't believe it, selling two million records. So our record career, or the New Seekers career, started in America. Wow. Wow. What I remember, we were, I can't tell you how excited I was that, that you did the first ever week at the Shakespeare, but I've never seen, I wanted to take you all out to see this, to see that. I have never seen a work schedule like it. They really worked you, didn't they, at the beginning? Yeah, but we enjoyed it. You know, it was sort of uh, interviews here, recording sessions there, performances there, flying to America and back and all that. But we were young, uh, enthusiastic, and just enjoyed it, loved it. How many good, you've got lots of good memories, but how many sort of magical memories would you not forget? Oh, that's difficult to say, Pete. Uh, you know, sometimes people say, what was, what, what was the highlight of your career? Or what was the the lowest point or whatever? I can tell you about that. One of the low points, if you like to hear that. Yeah. One of the low points, uh, having uh, done Eurovision, and of course Eurovision was just gone, um, we, were, we were quietly confident that we had a good chance of winning. And most of our points, because we, we, we did a song called Beg, Steal or Borrow, Yep. It was in fact number two in the charts. Yeah. That's right. It was number two in the charts as, as we did the competition. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, when we'd finished, uh, most of our points at that point were tens and twelves. 
until it was Ireland's turn to vote. They gave us three points. And then Spain gave us two points, which meant that we lost by a few points to Vicky Leandro. Uh, but listen, Pete, I'm not cynical enough to say there was any political motive behind their voting, even though there were problems with the IRA in, in <laughs> Ireland. And, and, and uh, Spain was trying to claw back Gibraltar, but there you go. We were almost there. No, no. But it was still a great song. And yeah, people loved it. Song. Do you know what? The, the New Seekers had some fabulous songs. They really did, Marty. It was it was a joy to watch the act. Apart from the fact that I became friendly with you all, it was a. I, I can't tell you how audiences loved um, the New Seekers. I thought it was tremendous. Well, it was a lifetime ago, Pete. A lifetime ago, mate. So when you talk on the ships, is that? Most of the structure of, of, of your... Yeah, um, what I do, it's like a PowerPoint presentation. So I've got clips, video clips and anecdotes and stories. I mean, there are lots of different things, of course. Being in part of the group, you tend to meet all kinds of different people, um, you know, from royalty to politicians and to show business personalities. You're forever meeting people at airport lounges, you know, other, other groups or on TV shows and stuff. So a lot of the anecdotes and stories are about my adventures with different people. Yeah. Um, there's, there's some quite humorous occasions. And as I say, because it's a PowerPoint presentation, it makes it even more interesting because then you get clips and, uh, yeah. and films as well. Were you ever impressed by people you met? I mean, you're a very cool guy. You always have been. But are you ever, or have you ever been impressed and gone, oh, my, what? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, when we went to, well, a couple of things that stand out like that, when we went to America, one of my uh, idols as a kid was Jerry Lewis. Not Jerry Lee Lewis, the, yeah. the great singer, although yeah. I really loved him as well. The comic. But Jerry Lewis, the, yeah. the, the uh, comedian. Yeah. You know. And he always used to play the pathetic clown, and you always felt sorry for him. And we were scheduled to do the um, Jerry Lewis telethon. And I remember being really excited to see my boyhood hero. And um, we were standing in the wings, and he was just chatting to everyone, and, and he you know, he, he looked amazing and you'd think that butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. But the minute it went to a commercial break, he turned into a madman, swearing and carrying on at somebody or other and, and bringing one of his um, secretaries to tears. It's just like unbelievable. And so I, I was totally disillusioned about him. And apparently this was like a, uh, a regular occurrence. But the, uh, on a positive note, another guy that I was... You know, we, we did the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember sharing a lift with Ravi Shankar, who was on the same bill. Wow. And I was totally in awe of him because wow. I love the Beatles. And, uh, yeah. and, like, Ravi Shankar was the greatest sitar player in the world and, uh, you know, a bit of a god to everyone. Yeah. And as we were going up um, up to our dressing rooms in the lift, I sort of inanely said to him, oh, uh, uh, how long does it take you to master your instrument? To which you replied, my boy, one never masters one's instrument. One is always learning. <laughs> that was the great Ravi Shankar. I love, I love that. Just going back to Jerry Lewis, I've got to tell you, um, uh, uh, when he did the ships, he would take 10 of his family, at least, and they dreaded it. 
they absolutely dreaded. He was horrible to the staff and he he treated everybody vilely. So isn't that interesting that you yeah, told us that story? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. really weird that. I don't yeah. know what turned him because, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he must have been a you know, more palatable character in his early days. Maybe, maybe. I'm talking to Marty Christian, who's going to tell us now about a piece of music we're going to play, he's going to introduce, uh, called Cool Hand. Tell us about the song. Well, it's another country song, and it's sort of a, a, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek one that I decided to write. And um, funny enough, on the video, um, which, you, you know, Mick Flynn, made of mine, he... Uh, he Not helped. Mick Flynn from yeah, The Mick Mixtures. <laughs> exactly. He helped video and uh, I roped in a few um, characters from our some of our friends around around the neighbourhood mm -hmm. and we produced this uh, video which is on YouTube and um, yeah it's called Cool Hand another country song I've been dealt one hell of a hand Seeing you stack the pack Looking at the cards I got here There ain't no going back All my chips are in the pot I ain't got no more Guess it's time to fold Walk out the door Avoiding looking back What's done is done Some play with a handful of aces Some fold and run I've got to now guess who the people are. <laughs> <laughs> you won't know any of them. No. Um, I'm talking to Marty Christian. Um, what regrets with the New Seekers, if any? Um, I suppose one of the regrets was, was, in hindsight, probably the breakup because we were right at our height then, as you know. And uh, but I, th I think it's, it was inevitable because. You know, the, the, 
things had changed. Um, the focus was more on Lynn Paul. She just had uh, a couple of number one hit records with us with um, You Won't Find Another Fool Like Me and another one called Getting a Little Sentimental Over You. So, <clears throat> yeah, Lynn's, Lynn's star had risen and, and suddenly uh, everything changed. You know, she was desperate to, to do her thing and uh, sadly, I, from my perspective, that was the catalyst for the, the uh, breakup. Right. Um, did you go through, I mean, when I left radio full time, I actually mourned for six months. Did you mourn at all? Did you have a bad time after the New Seekers? No, I'm, I'm sort of one of those guys that, that sort of tends to think about the moment. You know, you, you, it's the here and now that's important. The past is the past, and I just sort of motored on. Um, later on, of course, when you when you have a bit more time to reflect, then, then you might sort of... Uh, you know, ponder what about this could have happened or that could have happened. But you know, I, th- I throw those things off quite quite easily. Actually, I, I'm not one that dwells on on the past too much. Is there one show you did with the New Seekers that you'll never ever forget? Just one. There is one. There's a couple that stand out, but the one, if you if I had to highlight one, we played a concert in New Zealand, and it was an open air concert with a huge lake around us and, and there were about, I think there were about 20,000 people there and they'd all come and it was in, in the days before everyone had mobile phones and everyone waved their mobile phones you know, that light up and so on, yeah. but this was candles oh. and they they reflected in the lake and it was just one magical thing and as I say, that's etched in my memory also the funny, funny part of it was when we completed the first song there was silence for two, two or three seconds. And we thought, oh, what happened? <laughs> Maybe they didn't hear a thing. But it was the delay between us and, uh, and, and the other people around the other side of the, uh, the glade. Wow. But it was fantastic. Wow. Wow. Have you got a favourite ever song of the New Seekers? Of, of, the, of the New one? Seekers? Yeah. Um, I can't really say it. Um, hang on. Would you ever put an album on of the new seekers and play it for yourself? And would I put an album out? Yeah, I've still got albums. I'm not on CDs. I'm I'm on nothing. Yeah. I've still got my albums. I've got everything. You know, I've got all my albums. All my, <laughs> all my vinyl. Excellent, excellent. Well, they're all coming back now, aren't they? They are so, indeed. Um, as far as again, I mean, the new seekers period was was. A fabulous period in my life, but but I've I've kind of moved on, and and my my history as far as music goes was more in the rock vein in, in days of old. So yeah, yeah. a lot of the stuff that we did, some of it wasn't to my taste, and I sort of went along with it. And of course, I was very grateful for the success, but it wasn't the kind of music that always that I was into. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hard to say. Hard yeah. to say, Peter. Interesting, interesting. One thing I loved about staying with you and Carol, uh, very much so, was coming home from work, having a glass of wine or a cup of tea, and you had a very serious side to you, and you're a very interesting conversationalist, which I loved uh, very much so. And, uh, you know, I'd come back from the gig and unwind, and you'd be talking. As an immigrant to Australia and where you came from, it must relate, and you must relate as a father and a grandfather 
and a worry for your children and your grandchildren with what's happening in Ukraine. Tell us how you feel about that. Yeah, well, my mum was a refugee, in fact, from the Russians. So, you know, <clears throat> being a, a kid growing up with, with a Latvian parent, you hear all about the horrors and the things that happened. Um, I won't go into all those gruesome details, but it seems like, um, you know, it's an action replay. Things are happening again. And who would have believed in this day and age that we'd be sort of in the midst of this incredible conflict in, in, <coughs> in Europe, which affects, well, conflicts happen all over the world. And of course, every war is a tragedy to, to all concerns. But now it's on, a, on our doorstep, and also with this maniac um, who nobody knows uh, what the next move is as far as he's concerned. Yeah. It's got to be a worry. Um, I'm kind of a positive guy. I think uh, things will develop, and somehow, well, I think Putin's drawn the line now. It's the end of him, or it's the beginning of the end of Putin. How long this... this uh, this end takes, none of us know, but I just feel that uh, there will be positive things that happen eventually and uh, hopefully things will be resolved. You've written a song about him. Um, what made you do that? Um, well, I, I just thought all the lies that he spins um, and people have sort of just taken it at face value all the time and having read a lot about him, having uh, understood the uh, the mentality of, of of his background, having been part of the KGB and that, um, misinformation was was one of the big things that that uh, that the whole of the, um, the propaganda machine in Russia is is all about. So I just figured I had an idea, stranger to the truth. Um, and I wrote that, and, I, and again, I, I did a video of it. So the video is probably more emotive because I put the lyrics underneath the images, and, and images, of course, tell a different story, don't they? But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's there as a song. We're going to finish now um, because it's been a joy, and we're going to finish with that song because we might as well finish on a serious note because it is a serious note. Even though you're a positive man, which is great, I want to say to you, Thank you for the joy and pleasure you've given me as a friend, but also from the public, because I remember you were very modest, but you were huge. Did you ever think the New Seekers were going to be as big as they were? No, no none of us thought that. Although um, a clairvoyant told me that all this was going to happen, which was quite astounding, because I met all kinds of different people in my life, and... Uh, I've met people that pretend to be clairvoyant or, you know, or just that and the other, but I met a lady called Mrs. Knowles who told me, when I first joined the group, told me chapter and verse, the things that were going to happen, and they all happened. We've spoken about this before, Peter, but um, time's short this time around, so we'll leave that for another day. But it all happened, mate, exactly as she said. Yep. Marty Christian, would you like to introduce this? And if you had Mr. Putin in front of you now, what would you say to him? Well, a lot that you can say to the guy, because <laughs> he's a stranger to the truth. The time.
they'll hate you and blame you for what you've done. We've been down this road before. You've never shown regret. Don't know the meaning of respect. Can't stop lying. It's your go-to. Always denying what we all know is true. subscribe we'd love you to subscribe it costs nothing Liverpool Live.